0: Episode 4, welcome back. Today's guest is an expert in physiotherapy, specifically running physiotherapy, and a musculoskeletal expert as well, and he is insanely knowledgeable about all things injury, niggles, and running related, and he has been a lifesaver to myself an aspiring amateur athlete and to many elite athletes as well. He's going to share some incredibly detailed and fascinating knowledge all about what happens to our body when we run and some tips and advice for all of you runners out there as well. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Scott Newton. I'm guessing running came first for you before physio and physiotherapy did. So what, what was your kind of... What was your kind of introduction to running? When did it start for you? When did the when did the sort of
1: oh, good good question? Um, I, th- I think run, running initially came for me. It was a bit of a byproduct of fitness for other things. So hmm. when I was sort of in my early teens I played a lot of field hockey and things like that for county oh, okay. and regional and, and that sort of thing. So we used to do um, sort of fairly structured training like beep tests and and there was sort of quite a big emphasis on fitness. So it was I kind of ran for fitness. Going on to late teens, I sort of got sick of hockey and um, and then I sort of boxing, tie boxing and things like that and um, oh, had a nice. few fights and uh, then it was sort of very much part of training for that um, and then I think I, I then completed a sports science degree, sort of finished that 2002 and uh, moved away from Nottingham um, where we've been based and we'd sort of yeah, done on lot sort of tie boxing and everything there, we had a sort of nice network and moved to London to study and joined some boxing gyms, joined some clubs and I never quite got the same sort of buzz from it. You know, the groups were all a bit, I don't know, it just didn't appeal to me. So Mm. um, I started to run more um, basically. And uh, my my dad and my uncle have always been sort of runners to to a point, you know, not not, not proper like club runners, but they'd sort of do a half marathon and marathon and that sort of thing sort of most years. And, And then I started to, from um about where was it eighteen nineteen I think i started doing sort of the half marathon and Nottingham with them every year mm-hmm. and then it wasn't two thousand eight where i ran the first full marathon um in london um oh, as, nice. as as I, as as one of my uh, esteemed Dutch colleagues Rob mast at the time actually he kind of gave me his entry <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah so so I ran that and uh, yeah, I was gutted at the time. So I think I ran three oh two or something, and three oh two for your
0: first marathon. There, that's that's pretty impressive. Though, were you, were you aiming bad. for sub three? Was you,
1: yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I, I, was, uh, I was I was gutted not to make it, but you know, I was my, my training at the time was fairly laughable. Um, you
0: know, what kind because, of training yeah. had you been doing, sort of leading up to that?
1: really unstructured stuff really so I might run sort of three or four times a week you know I was like cycling to and from work at that point which is you know not a huge distance probably about 22k either way Mm. um, in total and what wasn't particularly structured other than sort of getting decent long runs in but I think that's about the only sort of bit of solid um, sort of logic I was following I think at that time and you know I wasn't really doing any speed work wasn't doing any intervals and, Mm. and so on still like
0: 302 for it to be your first swing is is pretty impressive i wonder whether do you think maybe the sort of the thai boxing and the boxing that you were doing do you think that may have given you some sort of bedrock of of fitness that allowed you to still i mean for are only running three or four times a week and not doing any kind of concentrated speed work or intervals that's that's still pretty good do you do you think the
1: yeah i th- I, th- I think with with the boxing uh, yeah it was there's was so much sort of fitness training uh, i think actually <laughs> ironically in sort of more recent years since kids have come along I think that's been been the bit of bit of sort of training that I've I've managed to sort of let slip at times my, my sort of strength and conditioning
0: mm.
1: yeah, um, <laughs> as much as I'd, I'd like not to admit it <laughs> oh
0: no that's fair uh, enough man
1: yeah no yeah I think th- I think I think almost definitely that that was uh that was helpful um yeah so yes yeah, sadly my my uh rate of progress um <laughs> Didn't, didn't, didn't uh continue
0: but you well <laughs> um, you've got uh, you're a 237 though your pb is two is it 237 is that right
1: yeah it no, is so, yeah 237 um which yeah which you know don't get me wrong I'm, I'm immensely sort of proud of a personal level but i'm also mindful that you know in the scheme of the even just club running world it's you know it's very sort of mediocre and and so on but it's uh that, that certainly came at a point where I'd started to train with a lot more structure. So, um, And I mean, you
0: think that was the reason that you were able to take that sort of 23 minutes or 24 minutes off? It was the structure that kind of...
1: Yeah, ab- absolutely. Yeah, so I'm trying to think. Yeah, my, my I think my marathon progression sort of went something like uh, 302, 254, 245. And then I was stuck at 245 um, from, I think, 20... 10 where I'd ran sort of there and about, um, you know, a few times, um, until 2015 when I ran 240. Mm. Uh, and I think the key thing that had changed in that sort of over that sort of year 2015 is when one, um, I started working with a um, coach called Wayne Buxton, um, who's a fantastic chap, um, ex England international 260 marathoner, who, who was introduced to me via a mutual friend, Noel Thatcher. Mm. um I'd also sort of started to sort of get more involved with club running and running with um sort of Peter McHugh's run fast group um with, with that and so I think, I think the combination of two having a structured program having really good sort of training um sort of friends companions whatever you want to call it mm. um you know so you, there's always someone a lot better to be sort of trying to draw up alongside or people around similar level to kind of you know sort of be sort of competitive and that sort of positive sort of training way and mm. uh, I think without doubt that that was a significant change and um, I think other basic things you know sort of a slow sort of creep up in sort of overall sort of trailing sort of volume and mm. the quality sessions are in there and a really good period of time which is uh, I was still, still very much a member of the club but yeah just, just with uh, having two young kids now they're um, it's yeah, certainly not as easy to sort of uh, put, put the time in that I'd uh, like to, I guess, on a purely selfish level. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, yeah, that's, that's the, I guess we all all want to sort of run that bit quicker, whatever whatever our current POV is, mm. we're always kind of chasing the, another couple of minutes. I thought I thought at the time I pro- probably could maybe dip under 2.35 on the right day with the right build-up, but... As as I'm now thirty nine and and so on, uh, it's gonna it's gonna be a tough one. <laughs> to, oh, you to do you can
0: it so, still can so be yeah. done. Surely it still <laughs> can be done. And so so with that with that progress, then as you were as you were slowly sort of taking chunks out of your PB time. So was this when you were also starting to train in a professional way as a as a physiotherapist? Was that sort of running concurrently alongside that? And I suppose as well when. And when we, when was your passion for that starting to develop as well?
1: Yeah, professionally. So I qualified physio 2005, and did the usual sort of junior rotations, for I think it was about 18 months. And then I sort mm. of got a static sort of musculoskeletal post, um, uh, sitting in hackney Homerton. Um And, you know, I was there for a few years. But I guess in terms of where... Um, where the sort of the running interest came in it was it's probably around sort of late 2011-2012 time where i was really lucky to sort of start to be involved with um Homson sports medicine clinic okay work with uh, people like trevor Pryor, who's a pretty eminent sort of podiatrist with sort of very special interest in sort of running biomechanics and, and things like that so that sort of yeah I think that probably spots um sort of my underlying interest in running you know is some, something something that so point what
0: here? is it so when so just for people listening when you say bio biomechanics what what is the kind of dictionary definition what does that what does that mean for people who might not sort of be familiar with that expression biomechanics
1: so so I guess it's essentially looking at a study of how we move um and uh, you can can probably break it down to Two different components of sort of kinetic, sort of um, biomechanics, which can be we involve looking at sort of forces involved in running, um, which gets a bit trickier because you normally have to have fancy bits of equipment like instrumented treadmills, which have force plates and things like that built into them, and then kinematic variables. So essentially, looking at sort of joint angles and things that are much more observ- observable to the you know naked eye, and so just you know sort of simple video two D video analysis and that sort of thing. Um, and with
0: with the biomechanics then is there a, are we born with our natural sort of efficient biomechanics that slowly get worse with bad habits over time or do we are we are we born with the perfect biomechanics that break down over time or do we learn them as we get older
1: yes good good question i th- i think um I guess in a running context you know my my sort of view on this my knowledge of this would would be that i think i think our our movement patterns our biomechanics probably are very much a result of the environment that we're exposed to and, and what what we do um with that so i, th- I think there's a huge sort of nurture component to, to to that and i guess you know maybe a lot of people that might be listening to this uh, have read sort of chris mcdougall's book you know born to run which was yeah. a sort of catalyst for sort of the barefoot sort of movement and this uh the sort of idea that running shoe technologies in particular sort of interfere without you know natural sort of perfect biomechanics um, and yeah you know there are certainly some studies that would suggest that for example if to take the footwear example that you know if, if you run on a sort of a barefoot minimalist type shoe then you're more likely to sort of move how would have done you know let, let's say hunter-gatherers or, or something like that you know and, and so on but so, so if we were then to sort of ha- have a consider sort of running biomechanics and how how they may or may not sort of factor into certain running related injuries there's been mm. a lot of research that's happened certainly in the past decade that sort of look, looked at this uh, um issue um and i think there are um a number of studies so um Runners that tend to overstride um, with a sort of more, let's say, heel strike for ease, then we can incur sort of greater sort of loads that happen towards the knee and things like that. And so, Mm. for anterior knee pain, patellofemoral pain, and and so on, have been sort of these have been identified risk factors in terms of the way that we move has been shown to have a relationship to certain injury patterns, but sort of definite sort of causality um, hasn't really been demonstrated. Um, we also know in, in that same sort of, uh, if we take someone with anterior knee pain or patellofemoral p- pain, um, it's, it's pain that's sort of felt um, on the front of the knee and it generally will be sort of um, around the kneecap, uh, which we refer to as the patella um and certainly this is this is sort of the most common cause of knee pain in runners and that's is
0: like, this is this the infamous runner's knee that we're talking about here is that yeah a
1: different thing? So often often dubbed as the runner's knee occasionally runners knee some people take that to mean sort of um sort of more sort of side of knee lateral knee pain of iliotibial band um sort of uh, syndrome and so on but um yeah I, I was talking more about sort of front of knee front knee.
0: of knee okay
1: with with that, so if you like kneecap pain, with, with that. So, yeah, there, there are um, a number of studies now that have, have looked at sort of changing, if you like, some of these biomechanical variables to change load at the knee to see if this can help sort of in in sort of the the pain that uh, patients or, or people experiencing front of knee pain, um, if, if you like. Um, so,
0: what what kind of things if what kind of things looking at people's biomechanics uh, are the studies encouraging People to sort of think about or change in their biomechanics to avoid that that sort of that knee pain Is there is there a something to do with 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 your stride how your foot's landing? What what are the sort of key kind of recommendations yeah. from these studies?
1: So, so, so the main thing is is, is around um, stride frequency or cadence um, mm. which In probably more simple languages your step rate. So if you take a minute how many steps you take per minute is, is what we would say that sort of links uh, very closely to strides sort of obvious example of uh, someone with um, anterior knee pain that has a significant over stride so they're landing let's say with with the leg pretty straight onto an outstretched heel um, where we get sort of quite a strong ground reaction force that goes back through, through the knee um, whereas if you like maybe we'd in a more ideal world, we'd we'd have um, a uh, a contact point where the foot is a little bit closer to our centre of mass. Um, So this idea sometimes where you might have heard this reference of trying to imagine a foot landing under the hip um, to to reduce some of those braking forces and so on. So one way of encouraging that in a very, very simple uh, idea would be to take someone that has a big overstride and then to say, okay, uh, let's, um, take a, it could be as simple as take a shorter, faster step
0: mm.
1: or to consider using a metronome, uh, help them sort of coordinate sort of foot strike with, with the beat of the metronome, uh, with, with, uh, and there's, yeah, there's quite a, um, well publicized study from Brian Heidish I think back in 2011, actually it showed, um, significant reduction in joint forces. Um, people that applied a between five to ten percent increase in their habitual step rate and, and so on with really? that. So, so i guess yeah i guess with, with, with the biomechanical factors are with with most injuries there have been sort of risk factors that have been associated with mm. certain biomechanics um i guess another area would be uh shin splints or um which can sort of progress um through to sort of um, tibial or shin Uh, bone stress injuries stress fractures so when
0: you say Um, shin splints are we talking uh whereabouts are we talking in the leg is this is this the the muscle that runs this is a real idiot explanation so this is the muscle that runs at the front of your leg the one that's attached to the shin is that what a, a shin splint is or or that's the the muscle breaking or the shin you explain it better than me this is why you're on here <laughs> right.
1: yeah 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 okay absolutely so so when when we say shin splints um majority of the time we're looking at um shin splints which are on the inner side of of the shin which right. we would refer to as the meat right and, and it sort of sits on the what we'd say the posterior the back inside part of our shin bone so that's the most the classic region where we'll start to get some overload of the um muscles that sort of form the back of the car so things like tip post and so on um, that can sometimes um, let's say um become a little bit overloaded if we increase our running load distance uh, a little bit too rapidly and that can be a cause and where they attach onto the border of the shin um sometimes we can get a little bit of um, what we call periosteal inflammation so literally at that sort of muscle bone interface um that there's a little bit of traction as, as those muscles have to work hard to absorb impact um, and prevent things like excessive um, inward rotation of the um, shin as we as we land uh, which is often sort of coupled with um, pronation of, of the foot.
0: Right so that that's that's a sort of the dictionary definition of of a shin splint so in terms of, of that and the knee pain so is so there's strong evidence then of 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 increasing your cadence and Shortening. So, when you say shortening your stride, are you? St- are you th- I'm, I'm just trying to imagine it. Is, is are you just generally taking shorter strides? Are you still wanting to have a long stride of the foot coming up behind you, when you're increasing your cadence? And can you also increase your cadence yet still run slowly as well? I suppose would be be a question because when I think of increasing my my turnover, that instantly makes me think, oh, I should be running faster. Then are the are they two conducive to each other?
1: I think really good question because so I, think, I think you take just increasing your your cadence at face value. And I, th- I think this is a limitation of some some of this work as well in sort of uh, in in sort of more practical terms. So yes, you, you might well. Gets want to increase their step rate from, I don't know, let's say 160 steps per minute to 175, and we, you know, we, we might be happy that we've reduced the load at the knee, but are, are they running efficiently, or are they actually shuffling along like mm. Charlie Chaplin, yeah. um, you know, not really making use of um, other key elements of the posterior chain like glutes and um, and so on because they're not really positioning their foot. In a in an efficient sort of lever position to to make use of that, yeah, yeah I think th- I think you have to I, th- I think with all, all of the ideas around sort of changing someone's biomechanics or gait retraining, whatever you want to call it, have, we have to be very mindful about what our end goal is. Um, so, mm. so let's say um, first time marathoner, I've, I've seen this a, n- a number of times, um, training for let's say London Marathon comes to see you February with you know really sore knees, not tolerating distance very well, then it it might be, um, appropriate, um, from a, you know, can we get them to a point where they can complete the marathon, you know, Mm. not necessarily run the best time ever, um, by sort of shifting load um, away from the knee, maybe asking the sort of the lower leg of the calf to pick up a bit more load by increasing their step rates and allowing them to take, you know, relatively shuffled Mm. sort of, um, gay pattern, I think, you know, that, that, that's, um, that would be fine. But if this is some, you know, club runner who's, you know, um, has sort of time led goals, uh, probably, you know, just getting them to increase step rate without any consideration of, you know, has it turned them into, you know, this shuffling sort of you know, oddly inefficient gait in terms of proportion and, and so on that we're going to get from the glutes, then it's probably not the best strategy. So we then sometimes have to combine a couple of things where we're looking at yes we want to um, potentially increase uh, sort of step rate but that also to maintain some of those other if you like inverted commas good running biomechanics where we do see that we get a reasonable amount of forward knee lift um the active pickup um in, in sort of in a propulsive phase of, of of gate and, and so on because that's sort of, uh, that you,
0: you. You touch on something really interesting there. Because I, I, I would <laughs> obviously not being an expert, I can, I can imagine there isn't a one size fits all approach for every runner or patient that that comes through your door. And I suppose when someone does come in, like I myself have also been to see you as well. When, when someone comes in to see you, and they say something like, "Oh, I've got a bit of a niggle here," or "This part of my 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 leg is hurting." Is, is what is your process? What is your like detective process as it were to put together yeah. the sort of right package for that person? What kind of things do you have to go through in order to put together, you know, your sort of recommended measures, whether it be increasing cadence or, or working more on stride or strengthening sure. this muscle, like what, yeah. How do, you, how do you sort of create your solution for your patient? So
1: I, th- I think first and foremost, before, from from a physiotherapy point of view, before even getting on to considering things like you know biomechanics and and that sort of things, it's probably just thinking about what is the diagnosis that we're looking at here, and, and to to make sure that that is that's sort of well looked after. So you know, this might be going off at a slight tangent, but kind of, I think if I said uh, yeah, just the fact that ninety five percent of my case load is sort of endurance mm. <laughs> based sports people, runners predominantly. I've got a, um, a heavy bias but I see a, a lot of um, things like bone stress injuries and um, stress fractures and that, that sort of thing. So I think beyond anything else the, the starting point is to make sure that we've listened to, to the history You know, how, how did the pain develop uh, and you know, there are some classic patterns with, with with a lot of injuries whether it be sort of muscle tendon um, or bony or joint related where there'll, there'll be sort of, a, sort of some kind of escalation in training volume um or or sometimes the introduction of sort of more intense workouts where sort of the sort of loads involved you know a lot greater so i think listening to the onset of the um sort of problem it's developed how's it affecting them i guess sort of classic things sort of what we consider sort of aggravating and easing factors so things mm-hmm typically would start to ring alarm bells. I saw someone on um, Monday th- this week that had this sort of uh, onset of left-sided um, mid-thigh in, in in a knee pain with a bit of tightness around the, the left hip that had come on around three weeks ago. Mm. Um, she'd... Um, sort of held a sort of fairly consistent training volume for around 50-50 sort of miles a week um, but she had sort to introduce a little bit some more intervals and, um, and a little bit of hill, hill um, hillier terrain into, into that and then um yeah three weeks ago she went out for her long run and sort of d- developed this sort of mid thigh pain that sort of just lingered um, for the rest of the day after the run, she was a bit aware of it at night. She tried to run the following day, and actually the following day, I think it was within about 10 minutes. Each time she was putting her foot down, she was getting some discomfort, and and that immediately rang alarm bells to me. And um, She'd rested for a couple of weeks, tried running again, it had been a bit better. I think she could run for you know, 15, 20 minutes, and then the started to come on, and then once it developed each foot contact, pain was escalating in this sort of crescendo fashion. Really listening to the history of, of how how things develop quite often gives a gives a lot of information diagnostically. Um, to, to a point. So, generally, that sort of crescendo nature of pain with sort of impact and weight bearing is is definitely a bit of a red flag, particularly in in runners, um, for things like bone stress injuries.
0: And, um, and is that what the injury was in the end? Was it a bone stress injury? We'll
1: we'll, we'll see. We're waiting on an MRI scan. I'm highly um highly suspicious that it will be, and then. The, the other part of that profile is, is then to look at sort of the, the person the athlete in, in front of you as well. So, so for the, this individual, um, you know, she'd had a number of sort of bone stress injuries in other areas. We, we know from previous investigations that bone health, um, sort of her bone density that was picked up on a DEXA scan, wasn't fantastic. Um, so she, there was what's some a, sort of what's a factor. DEXA
0: scan? Can I ask? What's a DEXA scan?
1: It's basically it's a type of X-ray that is used to, to look at the um, the structure of bone, oh, it looks nice. at, and it's, it they take it as sort of key points in I think it's the trabecular bone around around um, very pelvis, um, neck of femur. They're, they're the most common ones, and uh, what it does is it gives you a I'm top of my head a, something called a T-score which I think reflects uh, for aged matched um, individuals, it reflects your um, how basically dense your bone is in comparison to others, and it gives you a particular score. And um, it essentially allows you to say, okay, yeah, your bones are of normal density, or right. your bones are a little bit lacking in density, if you like, which we could probably label as osteopenic, mm. or your bones, are very very um, uh, lacking in density um, and that sort of goes through to osteoporosis yeah. so I think when we say osteoporosis maybe most people th- immediately think of maybe sort of postmenopausal females but um, it's, it's some, something that we, we see um, a lot unfortunately in in insurance athletes of both both male and female w- with, and with it, that.
0: is that from the sport or is is that or is that? Are there other factors contributing to that? Or is is there? Do you think a correlation between the endurance sport and the on the the higher frequency of seeing those in in people that you've done the scan on?
1: So it can be from both, um, essentially. So it, so, so um, from a sporting perspective, where it can sometimes develop is that you you end up um, in sort of negative energy balance, um, which then has an impact on hormones and uh, for, for females, one of one of the signs that that they, they might get with, with this is that they get irregular or absent sort of menstrual cycles um, and it's, right. it's not uncommon um, for, for a lot of um, female athletes um, to, you know to have sort of absent periods and I think certainly um, you know rewinding certainly sort of 10 years um, there's a bit of a ethos I think some with with some um, sort of uh, athletes that you know so having periods that weren't training hard enough and things like this you know wow. this, this sort of mindset where I, I don't think it's really sort of fully understood you know how the significant health implications you know much wider than bone health about sort of you know reproductive ability and all, all, all sorts um wow. I, I like it impacts but I, th- I think you know there's been some fantastic sort of um work done um recently the isc have consensus statement um out Reds sort or of relative energy deficiency in sport, and, and so on. And there's some really sort of helpful tools um, out there for physios, sports medicine doctors to just to sort of screen th- through that. And, so when you, know, you say
0: energy deficient, is is that because of is it overtraining that's causing that? Is that just pushing too yeah, hard? Part,
1: part of that. So, so I guess if, in this particular context, we'd be thinking about let's say you know you, you're you, you're running, um, let's say you you're, you do a double run day. Um, you've then been to work. You've then, um, you know, gone to the supermarket. All of those have a calorific cost, mm. and in terms of energy in, and, and then, well, sorry, yeah, and your energy in needs to sort of meet meet that calorific cost. Otherwise, you're in a negative energy balance. And you know, if that happens now and then, you know, it's not not a problem. But it's when that becomes more of a routine. That we then start to see some of these much more sort of wider ranging effects, uh, where it can affect uh, sort of endocrine function, hormonal function, and then that can then have effects on you know, th- things like menstrual cycle in in uh, female athletes. The other the other sort of factor that male athletes can um, sort of pick up on is sometimes it starts to affect libido and. Uh, things like erectile dysfunction and things like that you know sort of they can be sort of signs in, in male athletes that you know that there's something out, out of kilter there no, you now it's certainly not something as a physio would go on and you know assess or anything like that but it's for me to pick up on these risk factors that that when we're looking at you know how do I get to my ultimate sort of treatment plans sort or of bring it mm-hmm. back to that is that I think yeah the diagnosis is key first and foremost um understanding some sort of general health you can um, highlight certain risk factors that we've touched on with, 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 with uh, um, and certainly for bone stress injuries and so on. Um, so yeah, sort of asking about stability of weight, um, mm. and, and, and uh, menstrual function and uh, I guess even any sort of problems with libido erectile function in, in male athletes, that, that sort of thing can give us a little insights into that. And that again, I guess, you know, where we're seeing these sort of if we we're sort of saying yes, I have a problem with with this, you know libido. All, yeah, yeah.
0: So yeah.
1: it, it starts to give you a bit of a weighted picture. Then when you go on and examine someone, female athlete um, came to me with a sort of three mid thigh pain. Yes. Um, and, and, and so on. Um, when I examined her, there was. It was not a lot, so we had a look, you know, was it coming from the, from the lumbar spine? So we checked sort of a range of movement in, in, in the lower back, did some sort of provocation tests through the lower back, looked for any sort of referred pain with neurodynamic tests, um, and then got on to examining the hip. With that, um, there's absolutely no pain on and all sort of muscle related tests around the hip. So you know we kind of think oh, maybe a little bit of I don't know could it be a hip flexor tendinopathy or this and the other. So there's no other explanation there. Hmm. Um, the, the key key thing for this, I think, was actually just just on impact. So it was really simple. Examining the hip was completely sort of unremarkable. It moved really well. There's no restriction whatsoever. However, when we got her to hop repeatedly pain sort of very quickly came on and was mm. fairly significant. And, and it's then just seeing that. So we've got something where the physical findings really don't allow us to say it's likely to be a muscle strain or anything else where we're getting symptoms does seem to be purely impact. We then look back into risk factors that we have picked up from knowing about medical history and we then go back to looking at risk factors with that slight increase in training loads mm. and, the general sort of progression of injury where in, in essence it doesn't like having weights on it um, with, with that so, um, so I think it's having that sort of complete sort of you know hopefully holistic picture of the individual mm. in front of you um, with, with that so, so the, the, the course the treatment course for, for this particular athlete is likely to look at so if my suspicions are correct she'll be depending on the grade of stress fracture so they can be very severe Sort of grade four uh, where we see sort of a um sort of full sort of breach in the outer layer of bone which an x-ray for example would be able to pick up now I, my suspicion is it isn't quite as bad as that um ranging to sort of um all the way down to sort of one two three we're, we're looking at more of, if you like what you simply say is like bruising with deep within the bone those stress reactions as it sometimes referred to um if, if someone would just continue with the activity you can progress let's say grade one bone stress injury to a grade two ultimately to produce a fracture mm. um with, with that now yeah it's just yeah just importance of to be clear w- with, with the, these things. And, uh, so her rehab, sorry, that's where I was, I was getting myself lost. With. So her rehab will, will involve a period where she's, um, probably non-weight bearing for at least four to six weeks. Then it will be sort of graded sort of partial weight bearing back to full weight bearing with normal day to day activities involving probably some cross training. Um, then we'll look to sort of build up, rebuild sort of strength uh, in, in lower limbs um, uh, because of the period of sort of you know, non-weight bearing, a significant amount of deconditioning will occur over several weeks. So um, it's important we don't just say, okay, you've had, let's say, eight weeks rest now you can crack straight back onto running yeah. because we'll see that there's been some deconditioning, particularly of the involved limb, but also the uninvolved limb will have deconditioned in terms of the overall sort of strength profile and the ability to absorb load and and that sort of thing. So yeah, it'd be important just to make sure that we recondition and set some sort of targets, um, you know, strength based targets um, that she can hit. So, you know, it might be things like, can she, leg press at least her own body weight ideally body weight and a half um, at least once um, prior to reintroducing impact Um, can she you know hop 50 times without pain has she been completely pain free um, you know walking around also um, you know a a week uh, prior to sort of reengaging with any sort of formal sort of reintroduction Mm -hmm. of impact and it might be then at that point that we then maybe pick up things like you know are there any biomechanical factors that might um be worth looking at in terms of form in terms of footwear and alignment and so on and uh so, uh, uh
0: so do you see do you see a lot of stress fractures coming through your door then is it is it is it up there and your sort of if you had like a top three or something of injuries that come through your door are, are stress fractures quite common
1: very, yeah really common yeah um yeah very very common um and again that's i think that's the my sort of runner weighted caseload um that makes it so because uh, in fact you know all of us runners are doing something that's incredibly monotonous in terms of the loads that we put through our body um and probably doing quite a lot of it it's not uncommon for you know for club runners to be running you know at least you know five times a week um, mm-hmm. with some days in there it's certainly really common and i have to say this is what well, one area, I perhaps, you know, encourage um, listeners maybe just to, just just to be aware of, um, you know, I've, I've seen a number of people, particularly around around the hip, mm. where they've had this you know, this persistent sort of tightness or restriction around the hip, mm. that hasn't maybe responded to um, you know things like I don't know trigger point release and you know bits of strengthening work, and it's it's been sort of you know fairly persistent and. Mm. Uh, where when you really listen to the, the history it's actually people say well actually I can, I can do you know pretty much everything but as soon as i start to run you know on, on that sort of contact phase that's where things are really, really sore and, and things like that and i think you know particularly if that fits in with you know maybe a bit of an increase in your training load relative to what you've done recently things like that it, it might just lead you to questions so if you're asking a you know, physio osteopath whatever else just to say you know are, are you are you confident that this isn't a bone stress injury and the raw bone stress injuries that that don't, that can have significant impl- implications um, to um, I guess, yeah, quality of life, sort of hip and certain ones in the foot, for example, which are considered high risk of fracture at the neck of femur. Um, so, sorry, a bone stress injury, the so neck of femur it progresses away to a fracture mm. will often need to be pinned. Um, it can if you're unlucky, it can, if you're really unlucky, um, lead on to a sort of hip replacement as well, so you know you think a demographic probably um, you know not not looking at someone that 's seventy plus where we'd normally be looking at that sort of sort of hip prosthesis hip replacement type procedure as well, so I think you 've always got to have a high uh, index suspicion of of a runner with sort of persistent hip groin pain that's that 's not sort of responding to treatment in, in a way that you would think if um, with, with, with that. So.
0: so you would advocate then uh, if, if, you know, say if someone was listening that maybe had symptoms that maybe matched what you're describing that, cause I suppose there is a tendency with, with all runners, if, if it just manifests to begin with as a slight niggle or a slight bit of discomfort is just to sort of run through it, isn't there? I think there's, there's a real tendency for that within yeah. the community. So I suppose, would you advocate just, just to, just to investigate it a little bit further and, and just to double, triple check that it isn't something that could potentially be...
1: Yeah, I I, I would do is the, is the short answer to that. I, th- I think the if the other sort of important tag on was to say that, you know, as, as runners, n- niggles, I think for most of us are to some degree part and parcel of it. So, you know, perhaps, perhaps not, you know, for something that sort of does feel like a minor niggle, it happens once, you know, I think... I think it'd probably be a bit of an overreaction to kind of mm. think like, okay, I must rush and you know, see my GP, you know, yeah. sportsman's professional. It's, it's it's really, if you're kind of getting that, mm, this is my third run now and this isn't feeling great, you know, I'm mm. really having discomfort when I'm sort of putting weight, you know, weight through that limb and that sort of thing. That would sort of where where I think it would be worth, you know, being on the front foot and getting things checked out. With with that, uh, you know, if it happens once and then you've not had it again, you know, great, it's fine, don't worry about it. But it's it's really that that, that persistence uh, of of pain, um, and uh, I guess you know, if if you can pick up maybe on some of the other sort of, if you like, so-called intrinsic risk factors, you think, oh, actually, you know, maybe my diet hasn't been great. I've have been consciously trying to lose a lot of weight and things like that. We think mm, that could be maybe a bit of a risk factor there, and there are a few other little things like pain you know promptly when you're on your feet weight bearing um sometimes awareness of p- pain and discomfort in the area when you're lying in bed at night as well that can be another another feature uh, where you're just, just a little bit just a mm. little bit aware of that as well so so I, th- I think it's yeah again just trying to just kind of maybe the step, pull yourself back and take a bit of a if you like a helicopter view of like where you've been in the last month i think mm, actually does it start to tally Right, you know, it kind of fits with yeah. It's you know, this is coming on every time that I've run the last week now. It's been persistent, and um, you know, um, with with other factors that we've talked about, it's it sort of been ticked off there as well. That would be yeah. I think it'd be very sensible to get it checked out.
0: With injuries, it's it's interesting. I talk to a lot of people, and they often cite injuries that they've picked up earlier in life, or sort of maybe accidents that they've had. Um, And they count them as real reasons for them to never sort of start running in the first place. Like a good friend of mine had a really nasty knee injury from football and he's never really been, although quite like the idea of going running, he's always just flat out squarely just said no because of this old existing injury. And my brother had quite a severe motorbike accident and he's always been quite wary about restarting and is slowly just starting to, to run again. And I suppose... Is there a way back to running with the correct treatment and procedures for people who perhaps have had um, injuries from from other things be it um you know motor accidents yeah. or, or or other accidents it c- can there ever be a return to running for people who've just like outright sort of written it off with the correct kind of treatment and, and practice
1: yeah i think so I, th- I think there's all for for you know the vast majority of people i can think that, that there's there's hope um and the way you phrase that reminds me of um you know quite quite inspiring i think israeli lady that i've Treated with with a similar context, I think last last year that it had a really bad accident on a, on, a, on a moped had quite a nasty lower leg fracture with pinning and um and i think it gone into sort of the tibial plateau from memory so it had gone into sort of the knee joint as well and she'd had um she'd sort of always sort of been told you know sort of you know probably best avoid you know impact to sport and, and that sort of thing but she she, she said okay, i really used to love running you know i want to want to get get back to it um and so on and i'm not saying that she she Uh, got back to doing what she was doing prior to where I think she was running you know sort of four or five times a week Um, she did with sort of a progressive plan of I guess trying to identify where if like the deficits might be you know post injury so um, um, quite quite often we see that people um, in that category have knee injuries maybe have not felt confident exercising um and sort of if you like working out legs and things like that so so they actually detrain you know more and more so things like simple things like quad strength glute strength hamstring calf strength that all kind of uh, help to sort of um, promote good sort of function absorb load better decondition so you know if we can sort of progressively get um sort of people strengthened up using some resistance training you know preferably in a gym I know that's a, a a topic of debate with current sort of COVID times and things mm. like that and, and so on, but um, I, I think I think this I think can set some sort of fairly sensible sort of milestones in terms of okay, so you've got the ability to fully straighten your leg, you've got more than you know a hundred degrees knee bends available, really comfortably. You can walk without pain, you can hop without pain. Your strength, um, you know, sort of side to side is you know x and y um and then to start sort of a graded sort of return to run program where you know probably we would start with something like maybe a walk run sort of format would, would be the place to go and just just to, just to see you know can we just gradually just build build back in a, a little bit of tolerance to the impact and load and and, and so on and p- people often do you know a lot, a lot better well yeah achieve a lot more than they, they think that they can um and I, I think it's also important to acknowledge that sort of if you like, even when we're looking at structural things like bone and so on, you know, responds to the load in the way that muscle responds to load. Um, and if, if we get quite often if we get the sort of the right sort of stimulus in terms of increasing demand on it through weight training, for example, through sort of um rolling potentially, that as long as we're sort of very gradual in the way we build it up and sensible that that can actually have a positive effect on, mm. on things like health and um, osteoarthritis
0: there is ways and means for people who perhaps have written themselves off from previous injuries or previous accidents for them to to come back to some some form of of peak not peak but some form of past performance with a sort of structured plan and there's one thing you keep mentioning through all of these rehabilitation and various treatments that that you've been describing and that is Well, that is strength training and weight training. So do you think for for all the runners and all the endurance athletes listening that that is is a cornerstone of injury treatment and injury prevention that you would advocate for runners? Uh,
1: Yeah, one would answer yes. Um, (laughs) Absolutely. Um, Yeah, I I think, yeah, yes, yes, yes. uh, I guess trying to sort of make a case for that because I, I, I know certainly maybe with some of the more sort of old school club runners um, and things like that that has been a, emphasis well, if I want to do strength training, i go and do a hill session and, uh, you know, things like that. And I think, you know, there's that undoubtedly there is some value in doing that, but does that then address very specific deficits, for example, in thigh or quadriceps strength and so on? That it might be. You know, I think there are sort of, if you know, sort of the classic sort of bell shaped curve of things, you know, you get certain people that seem to get away for whatever reason it is by, you know, genetic gift mm. um, and or whatever it is, where, you know, if you're like, well, oh, that guy. You know, I can think of Paul he's His good friends I've mm. known, <laughs> known for years now. treated him for years. You, know, I mean, you wouldn't mind me saying he's he's probably not, not the most diligent sort of strength trainer. Um, mm. You know, dips in and out of it at points when you know it's had the odd injury where it's really stopped him. But you know, he, he he gets away from a strength training point of view with doing not a lot. I, th- I think you know he, he's probably one of the lucky sort of five percent. You know, mm. there are, there's some other mitigation in Paul's, where you can kind of think you know he's he keeps a, cr- a consistent high work workload and there's some evidence that actually if you like chronic high training loads and things like that can be protective against injury um, and, 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 and that sort of thing but someone that's yeah doing doing the mileage he is doing each week day in day out week in week out um, is probably you know it's, it's not the it's not the norm for the it's not the
0: general rule of thumb you, yeah you know, so, for most people so,
1: so yeah, so yeah def, def, definitely I think strength training is is, um, is is where all the evidence is. So in terms of um, strength training, it's all in sort of injury um, prevention. Um, Some good research um, to sort of back that up um, from uh, I think things like football, uh, rugby, and, and so on. I definitely advocate that, and and it's strength training per se. I think there's runners, you know, there are key sort of muscle groups and key areas of the body that are putting more load on than others, I guess, you know, principally the lower half, Um, but we can be maybe a little bit more targeted in in where we sort of um, try and uh, adopt some strength training principles. So if you're someone that's maybe had a lot of recurrent calf strains or recurrent Achilles problems, then it's probably going to be a very good idea um, that you consistently continue to do some sort of calf conditioning um and uh that can sort of be depending on your needs you know it could be as simple as sort of more body weight capacity type things quite often it's it's very helpful particularly with achilles tendon problems to apply Mm -hmm. much heavier external loads so it might be that you Maybe get into the gym at least once, twice a week, just to just to work through a set of heavier weighted calf loads, which you know might involve a Smith machine or a leg press to do that. You know, if you, again, you know, if that's someone's had you know persistent knee problems, then making sure that uh, you know basic things like you know, if you've got good quad strength, you've got good um, sort of squat as you know, so good function through glutes and things like that can be really helpful. Persistent groin problems, making sure that you're conditioning things like. Um, hip flexor strength, adductor strength, and, and so on. So, you know, pr- probably, probably there's a whole, you know, there are probably a few sort of general things that would be helpful for most runners. You could argue, in terms of increasing strength from injury resilience and arguably maybe performance back squats and things like that, are a really helpful thing for that cover most bases. Then, if you've had specific injuries, then you probably look to maybe just tailor certain elements of that strength and conditioning program just to try and reduce your susceptibility um to, to to that injury again um and unfortunately with with a lot of running related injury be they sort of tendinopathy or bone stress uh, sort of the biggest predictor of future injury is previous <laughs> injury <laughs> so uh, so yes you know, it, it suggests that probably you know people aren't maybe being as diligent as they could be with with um with, with that side of things and uh i can, I can relate to that sadly myself <laughs> oh, really
0: have you have you like because that must be interesting with you know having that incredible wealth of medical like technical knowledge that you have like what have been the niggles and issues that you've suffered with
1: well okay i'll give you a story because it's pro- probably not a yes or no answer to that one but <laughs> so overall I've i've been really really Fortunate with the uh, sort of injuries that I've had with with running stuff, so I take probably two thousand of eight and It was the year that I'd consider myself that I sort of became you know more of a proper runner. at my mm. first marathon and, and I've been more sort of committed since then. Um, first full the marathon, I think I, I training sort of fairly terribly, and you know managed to develop some. Um, side of knee pain, iliotibial band syndrome, um, with that. And uh, yeah, that was, that was a pain. And at the time, I was working somewhere where you know, I had access to sort of podiatry and uh, people willing to. Um, I had a couple of colleagues that um, happily um, helped me out with some podiatry inputs. So I had some sort of uh, little shoe inserts that seemed to change the load on, on my knee, you know, in simple terms, as well as having a couple injections there um which seemed to calm things down to to a degree after that um i was, I was thankfully i think it probably is a wake-up call that maybe i wasn't training certainly on the running side of things in a particularly sort of thoughtful way where i was very haphazard you know one week doing you know x amount of volume the next week doing y and it then seems to be lack you know the sort of clear sort of progression and sort of um staging um imperialization of that um and then up until um 2017 you know i'd say i was like fairly you you know in my my head (laughs) like you know felt pretty pretty bulletproof um Mm. uh, I i think i was lucky that you know i'd always i think carry over from sort of the boxing side of things i'd always done quite a lot of strength training just habitually and uh and i'd sort of kept with that a couple of times a week where I was sort of in in the gym you know doing um, decent conditioning work Um, but then 2017 um, my daughter was born and um, diligently continued to train and at that time for me I was doing you know reasonable amount of volume where I was probably averaging I don't know 100 100, 110 kilometers a week that sort of with terrible sleep and you know I I remember turning up for several sort of hill sessions on a Saturday with the club thinking I'm, I'm absolutely knackered, but feeling also, you know, slightly pleased with myself that i dragged myself Mm. out, uh, you know, to do it and things like that. And I think uh, then um, in April that year, um, sort of a couple of months on from my daughter being born, I had a um, grade four um, right-sided sacral ailer stress fracture. So that's a little triangular bit of bone at the bottom of your spine. And it fractured, and, and there was, was really very little in the way of sort of warning signs physically. Um, to see that you know, I had a bit of DOMS on a on a Monday, ten k to and from work, sort of commute run. Tuesday I was fine. Wednesday I went out for a run, and about five k in, had this sort of high buttock pain that just progressively got worse. And then by the time I got back, I was sort of limping, you know, and mm. that was that was it. Um, and so that that was that was pretty tedious. It was three months of not running and and so on um, and uh, cross training, and I, then I sort of got back into a good good form format with with that. And uh, Wayne, my coach, was very helpful in keeping close tabs on me and you know making me maybe just reflect a little bit on how am I feeling. You know, simple. Do I feel exhausted? Maybe you know, don't do the workout that day. Consider having a rest day. You know, jump on the bike. You know, just vary things up a little bit. You know, not not rocket science, but probably just reflective thinking out loud. That you know, I think Wayne really helped help with that. And you know, got got back to a good point where I ran a half marathon PB the following year, and um, and so on. And I was in a good routine with strength work. But then, you know, I have to ha- hold hold my hands up. I've you know, i since you know had some minor occurrences. Of this, we've had sort of I feel like a grade one um, injury um, to the same oh, really? bit, um, which happened last year. And again, if hand on heart, what were the things that I'd let slip? All the things that I tell people day in, day out not to. And it's about, you know, do I disappear out for some mental sort of solitude for the run or whatever, or do I spend that time in the gym? Mm. And you know, I, was, I was making basically the, the wrong the short side of the choice and yeah i, I think I, th- I think i've, I've realized that I just just need to have if you feel like those those good habits or you know really essential i, th- I think um, mm. so yeah I've, personally i've been very very lucky um it is odd when i guess you've got insights it's i remember feeling horrendously embarrassed in 2017 when i had my first stress fracture thinking god this is you know this this is not good for <laughs> my line <laughs> of business it's one that's managed to break themselves, but you know, it's. Uh, I think we're we're all human. We're, we all have.
0: Uh, yeah. to a
1: great fallibility. So um, yeah, so yeah, I've, I've, I've been lucky, but um, in, in many regards. But yeah, I've definitely had my reminders that I can't get away with not doing the, the less uh, enjoyable bit. Arguably, spending some time in the gym.
0: I suppose, and it does. It does always feel the slightly less enjoyable side of running, the sort of, the slightly, not the boring, the sort of tedious thing. It's like the homework that you're trying to sort of put off from doing, really. So I suppose, do you have bits of advice, perhaps for your patients to maybe, for them to sort of perceive that strength work in a way that it becomes something that they actively want to do? Like, rather than something i suppose how do you form those good habits how do you make yourself like yes i want to get in and do my squats and my deadlifts and my calf raises is is there a way of reframing it do you think in your mind so that it becomes less tedious and something that you actually look forward to doing
1: yeah i I suppose um again i I think it's helpful to know the motivation of someone in front of you so i'm working with yeah, I can think of more elite ends. you know, people that have been to world championships and that sort of one of those guys in particular is, is very sort of goal orientated to think, okay, if I will do whatever it takes to achieve this goal and that makes life a lot easier. So if part of that, achieving that goal is to get into the gym for someone that has you know, that goal that sort of overrides everything else, then I think, I think that's quite an easy sell to say, okay, well, to help you get the, you know, sort of, uh, with well, a consistent sort of, block of training injury-free and also potentially having some sort of knock-on effects and improving uh, performance then getting into the gym a couple of times a week and doing a little bit of conditioning at home is is an easy ask for people at, at that level then mm. for probably for the more average person you, know, like you, you and I potentially I, th- I think it's it's then trying to I think Make sure that people understand, you know, the you know why it's important to them, you know, where this sits in uh, overall, um, and try and sort of make sure they can, yeah, see the relevance, um, whether that be injury prevention or sort of trying to maybe nudge performance up, chasing the EPB. Um, I, I, I suppose that's one side. I, th- I think a lot, a lot of time people think, oh, god, you know. I know I should do, you know, more strength training or or to be honest, still, still the comment I hear quite a lot is, I know you should stretch more, but uh, I I think really actually it's probably, you know, you should more accurately, you you know, you should sort of lift weights more. That was probably the the better thing from an injury prevention point of view. But yes, it's it's difficult. I think you've just got to try and make it relatable and relevant and try and make it as demand as little time as possible. Mm do them so you know they're, they're kind of you know can you get them to commit to maybe two 30 possibly 45 minute sessions in a gym um in, in, in you know a week you know does that seem manageable you know and not set people you know some wondrous sort of program that takes them you know an hour and a half twice a week in, in the gym so try to make it effective, but also sort of um, make a compromise where it actually means that they'll turn up and do it. So they get that consistency. Um.
0: Is there, I know you probably, this is probably a slightly stupid question. So please tell me to, to shut up. Is there then, if there was one single exercise, the best kind of bang for your buck strength exercise that you would say to all runners that they should do just as an investment in their own general kind of injury prevention what what would it be that the sort of if you could only recommend one
1: could, could you boil it down to one thing i, th- I think it's, it's very difficult but you know i think i think, I think you can talk about some friends i guess um you know but pro- probably some like com- compound movements would be, mm-hmm. be the, the way to go where we're getting sort of g- good use of yeah posterior chain a little bit of like core conditioning if you're maintaining good form um and uh, and so on so yeah i guess if you could only do one thing yeah like a, a classic sort of back squat um would, would be uh, with a barbell would, would be you know I, I, i'm not by any means uh advocating that you know no no uh, no i don't i don't need to be putting out there. any <laughs> disservice <laughs> yeah um i guess when you when you start to ask that sort of question, it's 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 a good one. You know, to say like, what can people? What's the the minimum amount someone can do to get the maximum mm. effect? It actually is realistic around work, running, kids, relationships, sleeping, and all the rest of it. So yeah, I, th- I think you know it, it is good to think about you know you know economising what strength what you can do.
0: I had um, quite a nasty case of plantio fasciitis a while back and one of the exercises that I'm sure you'll be familiar with is the is the sort of building up the strength in your arches. That was one yeah. thing that was recommended to me. And the, the the way it was framed to me in a really good way of doing it was that every morning when you brush your teeth, just put a towel down on the floor as you're brushing your teeth for sort of, you know, three or four minutes a day and just do it as you're brushing your teeth, picking up the towel with the arch in your foot, dropping it down and switching and sort of like, I suppose it's finding a way, whatever that is for the individual person where it becomes as, as matter of fact as, as brushing your teeth every morning, you're always going to do it. And if it becomes part of that routine, it becomes less of a, a sort of a, a sort of a chore. Yeah, no, I, th- I think
1: that's a really good one. Um, I, th- I think just tagging on to your idea, there quite often for you know bits of conditioning—not I'd like, say the sort of strength work applying heavy loads—but um, you know if you're looking at things like you know plank type of things setups, mm. you know, abdominal endurance, like sort of hip conditioning, just to tag on, you know, maybe ten minutes after an easy run day before mm. you jump in the shower, where you just have a little blast through, you know, three or four rounds of you know, front plank, side plank, hip abductions, you know, and and that sort of thing, where you can just get a little little bit of effect there. And then the time that you may into the gym to lift weights, so where you're doing purely exercise that you Know, demands to demand the weight, and you're not feeling like you have, you've got another sort of 10 exercises of some core work to, to add on, and that sort of thing as well. So, I think yeah, if you use this sort of those little almost like core conditioning units that you could tag on maybe a couple of times a week after easy runs, or you know, something like that, so, you know, another nice little strategy where you know, hopefully it comes you're ticking, ticking the conditioning boxes but without yeah. sort of feeling massively inconvenienced by it. I suppose, again, it is. Part of my own reflection is just thinking about for us all to kind of get better at running and just to be able to consistently get out and enjoy running, which I think, you know, moreover probably the last few months, most of us have found, you know, that just that relief of being able to get out the door and have a run with, you know, with everything that's going on in the world and clear your head um, is to do that consistently if you're not injured on a whole number of levels and Mm. part of that consistency is is achieved by, not being injured, and uh, one of your interventions is to do some strength conditioning work um, with her uh.
0: Just cycling back to, because um, we were talking about biomechanics um, earlier, are there any sort of runners, um, perhaps in the more sort of elite field, that you, you, you look at and you think efficiently, physically as a runner, they've got incredible form? Like when you're watching perhaps, you know, maybe when you were watching, I don't know if you did, the... The London Marathon or the recent um, half marathon world championships in Poland. Are there any runners that you look at and just think their efficiency, their run- run- running economy is just uh, incredible to watch?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I've, I've been lucky to work with some you know really um, yeah I guess yeah elite level athletes, and I guess you, you start to naturally see some sort of characteristics that. Um, you know maybe more common so the ability to they'll get sort of the, the ability to maintain sort of good sort of trunk and hip positioning so where they're not sort of you know sort of leant forwards with their bum backwards and you know landing on a straight leg and things like that so where they are able to sort of maintain sort of good good sort of poise um mm. as, as, as they run sort of keep a nice stable hip position they do actually lift their knees up to, to Get that sort of forward hip, hip drive so that it can actually sort of drive the foot down into the ground, making use of glutes and things like that. Um, so they've got that good sort of um hip knee flexion angle. Uh, you know, mentioned I think people like yeah, Elliot Gichoge has that sort of natural, natural poise, fluidity, mm. very springy in the way that the moves It's very sort of a, a, a sort of a elastic way of moving to sort of borrow one of um shane Benzi, the, the running coach as the terms um yeah they're not 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 afraid to sort of strike the ground with a good good amount of force um but they're doing that you know not not with a sort of huge sort of over stride. they're doing that with a um with a foot sort of landing sort of fairly under the the body on a sort of a fairly vertical tibial position where they can get good drive from glutes and posterior chain um speaking, that, um,
0: speaking of kipchoge then um the the, the sort of goat <coughs> as it were what's your take and what's your profession's take on the sort of shoes that are now synonymous with him and with the elite athletes the the carbon plated airpods zoom x the sort of the, the kind of yeah. the nike super shoes like uh is there is there a place for them? Do you think in running? Do you think there's potential um, injuries that may result of them, or, or, or not, or is that dependent on the, the runner's ability? That's yeah. perhaps wearing the yeah. shoes.
1: Is there a place? Yes, I, th- I think we're th- they're, they're staying now. Um, you know, I don't think there's any uh, worry about that. With the, I think with the ISC's. The IOC, yeah, it's the IOC's ruling, isn't it, on, yeah, on them being allowed yeah. and so, on. so So, I think yes, there's a place in them. Does it bother me that I think there's, you know, fairly irrefutable evidence now that they, you know, have been part responsible for some of the advances in sort of marathon records, half marathon records, and so on. But that... I think it doesn't bother me, providing that we get to that point where there's access to all, um, and, mm. and I suppose that's the basis of the, I think it's the IC ruling, okay, they, they need to be fully accessible, to so all, 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 all out there, um, that probably at the minute is, is not true potentially, particularly for some professionals that are maybe not sponsored by Nike and, and so mm. on, and that a of things, but you know, I think... There will be natural catch-up, and I, th- I think it's quite an exciting it adds a dimension of excitement of uh, in my mm. eyes. Um, I uh, think to, so you know, as well. I think it is new I records and so on. Yeah, I, I can understand the counter. Thing. You know, is, is it sort of in some way sort of you know shoe doping or cheating and that sort of mm. thing? But it's changing your physiology, you know, by taking EPO or something like that. It's you are mm. so wearing it on your foot. It's very, it's not clandestine it's sort of and you know hopefully everyone's going to have access to equally good shoes within the next couple of years and so you know, that playing field is there so i think yeah i, I i'm in favor of them yeah I've got, i know a number of uh sort of yeah really elite level runners that have speak highly of them and, and, and so on. i don't have any issue Get, getting on to the question of injury um and the relationship with the shoes i've seen to um have seen yeah a, a number of um if you like carbon carbon plate injuries in slower um, uh, right. runners that are maybe using using the shoes just for you know more of a mileage shoe, um, and I know a lot of people are thinking, "Crikey, you know, I wouldn't be doing that in such expensive shoes." But there are yeah. there are clearly um, that are happy to do, to do that, and uh, I think certainly for people um, where where they're doing a lot of volume, um, where they've maybe sort of Put aside slightly different shoe characteristics. Maybe you know, if I can think of a few people where that they they are people that perhaps need just a little bit more support in the shoe, uh, particularly for doing you know the volume of their training. where yes, for racing probably that they're fine, but to do all of their volume and I don't think they're appropriate. Where you yeah. know they're not providing maybe quite enough um, sort of support and, and so on. I've I've seen a few sort of um, problems there with sort of yeah to be honest posterior in injuries or, or tendalopathies and um and uh, sort of overloading sort of medial um sort of inside um of foot problems they yeah, are like navicular sort of stress reactions and things like that which it seems it seems to kind of correlate with you know change of footwear and, and and so on so yeah i think i think people may be overusing them um when, when maybe the the biomechanics may be suggest that they might need to um, you know, maybe blend the use with other more stable shoes. Save, save um, them for
0: race day maybe and sort of have a, another shoe in your rotation perhaps for, for easy work and stuff, just to sort of um, mitigate that potential for, for causing niggles and stuff. Yeah, same for them. Um, yeah,
1: picking up on that point, there, there are... Uh, um, I think there are a couple of studies that have suggested that, you know, just rotating through different shoes can be helpful in reducing the injury risk um, for, for runners. Um,
0: Before we finish, I, I kind of put out um, some feelers cause I, you know, interviewing a running physiotherapist with, you know, within the running community, there's lots of people that always want to ask questions. So I kind of put out a, yeah. a kind of Q and a sort of feelers for people. And there was a couple of questions that came kind of in, that were pretty common um, so i'm just going to throw some of these at you to sort of to sort of wrap this up sure so the first one that came in perhaps from the from the slightly older generation is what would you say to the old adage that running is bad for your knees is that true is is there no grounds for that or is it just a sort of old wives tale that perhaps doesn't hold water
1: running I think providing that you're um, if you're like listening to your body i.e you know clearly if you go out for a run and your knee swells up and uh, you have a history of having I don't know torn your cruciate ligaments and uh having a meniscectomy you know sort of 10 years ago and, and so on continue to sort of run with swelling in the knee and so on it isn't going to be great for your joint health however you still that those same sort of pre-existing um, sort of injury factors that if you build up your strength appropriately, build up your running load, your running volume in a considerate way, you're able to tolerate that uh, with that. So if, if, if you have no pre-existing injury to your knee, then certainly there's no evidence really that running is detrimental to, to the health of your knees. And uh, again, yeah, there are, there are studies that I think have looked at sort of um, changes in chondral cartilage and things like that. So positive changes, uh, just in the way that muscles get stronger, that's there are sort of load related changes that happen to the articular surface of the knees that actually improves with, with running, providing it's at the right level. And I, th- I think that goes back to, so running good for your knees, providing that you're doing it at the right level and you're not sort of being bloody minded and running through pain basically so i okay. think that's probably the, that in a nutshell
0: another one that came back uh, quite another common question is where do i ideally want to be placing my foot when it's striking the ground when i'm running what's the kind of what's the sweet spot for where my foot should be landing when i'm
1: running that's awesome. a good, good, good one and, and uh, arguably a matter of contention but I would say fairly close under your hip so you don't want it sort of a huge way out in front of you where you're potentially getting um, a lot of breaking force where you're more likely to land on a sort of a, a quite a straight straight leg um, and so I think where should you place your foot? Hopefully on a from, on a bent tibia, fairly underneath your hip, um, is, is what I would say is my sort of take, take on that, where you're going to get um, a nice propulsive action from things like glutes. You're going to make use of, you know, body's natural elasticity where you can actually load sort of glutes, load the Achilles tendon effectively and, 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 and so on to get a nice, um, efficient push off.
0: Foam rolling. Should I be doing it? Should I not be doing it? Is it worth it?
1: Yes, if you're finding it helpful, mm-hmm. if you've never tried it and, and potentially you're, you're finding that you're sort of feeling maybe a bit heavy, tight, fatigued, you know, after certain run sessions, then it'd be worthwhile trying to, you know, roll out for, you know, give it a couple of weeks after your heavier sessions and that sort of thing to see if, if you feel that it helps your legs feel any fresher and less fatigued. So I, th- I think it has has that potential.
0: Great. Great. Okay. And in a sort of following on from that, then with foam rolling, uh, another one that a lot of people wanted to know was, um, static stretching versus dynamic stretching one or the other, um, neither or, or a combination of two.
1: So, uh, it can be a combination of the two. I, th- I think it's getting more and more sort of, if you like, known to the sort of general sort of running public that generally speaking static stretching directly before you go for a run, um, um potentially isn't the best thing to do certainly from a performance perspective um with with that whereas we might encourage maybe more of a dynamic warm-up prior to going for a run so if you're someone that feels maybe tight through hip flexors calves hamstrings that you try and work out a little routine which could be things like you know walking lunges with a bit of a trunk rotation that's a great way of um you know opening out through sort of tight hip flexors as well as neuromuscularly sort of activating glutes lower legs and, and that sort of thing so that could be quite nice you could then maybe do some sort of little calf walk-ups walk-outs um and uh, you know maybe some hamstrings sort of um, i only noticed a uh, catch catching the chickens after some uh, kenyan athletes that used to ch- train with the uh, run fast came over and turned at that over what was that sorry what, what was
0: the catching the chicken things i slightly lost that Ca- you <laughs>
1: So the hamstring thing of catching the chicken would be where you, you walk along and then you're scooping. So you pop a leg out, scoop after. And it's, and oh, I see, I see, see. Catch the chickens. We used to call it um, with, with that. But, yeah, so it, text-wise, I'd say dynamic stretching, pre, pre-run, static stretching, sort of after run or another point, you know, particularly if you're if you are someone that maybe has restricted um sort of motion then it becomes uh you know maybe more um more imperative so you know if you've got horrendously tight quadriceps you, you get some sort of front of knee pain and things like that then for you probably it's going to be more important to do some static quad stretching or hip flexor stretching you know away from your run and things like that than maybe someone else but i think yeah it's uh a combination of the two is appropriate um certainly and uh, I'd, I'd also say um that if you find that static stretching makes you feel a bit better before you go for a run then i certainly wouldn't stop doing that mm. um we know that it might in, inhibit sort of peak uh, sort of force production from muscles and things like that but you know how many times really when we're going out for a <laughs> a little run in the week unless we're doing a session you know is that really that important if it helps you move a bit more freely so yeah I think you've just to be sort of pragmatic about the way you you do it.
0: Fantastic man Scott thank you so much for going into so much detail and for sort of sharing all of your incredible incredible knowledge so just sort of coming back to you because that's where we sort of started like What's what's happening for you running-wise? Have you got any races that you'd sort of got your eye on in the, in, the, in the next year? I know it's a little bit sketchy at the moment with the current situation, um, but is there anything yeah, you'd I like think, to take
1: on? Yeah, there are a few, I'm trying to think. So, yeah, this year I was, I was supposed to do Berlin for the first time, obviously. Oh, no. it um It was going to be my 11th year at Amsterdam marathon, so I want, I'd like to keep, keep my streak at Amsterdam going next year. Um, and um so yeah, Berlin, I'd, I'd like to I'd like to say I'd be taken on a PB, but I think at the minute if if I if I could get myself to a point of running a another sub two forty, I'd be over the moon from where mm. I'm at the minute. Um so that, that would that seems like a semi-realistic goal at least. Uh, mm. but you know by next uh, September I might I might be able to get into that shape. Um and um yeah, wider things I'd like to do um possibly lots like of run beachy head again
0: um oh, the beachy head marathon Oof! yes what was just, what's that like I've, I've heard some some fantastic stories it's quite a challenging one right
1: yeah yeah there's I've, I've done it once yeah a good 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 friend of mine um taught me into doing it i think 13 days after i'd sort of run my pb at amsterdam um so oh, we'll just pop, pop around and you know we'll take it easy and uh and I, th- I think he ran with me for about a-, a mile and then he was twitching and I was like oh, you, you go-, go off and uh, run it. But yeah, it, it was brilliant. It's brutal. Um, yeah, I think it gets about 20 miles and hit the first Seven Sisters. And uh, yeah, if you've walked or run-, run around Seven Sisters you know that they're pretty pretty meaty. Um, yeah, great great fun nevertheless. And yeah, one of, one of my club mates, um, Pete Hook, has, uh, has, uh, bro- well broke the course record last weekend.
0: Really?
1: Um, was what was that, your time? You know, not that uh,
0: two two forty. Wow! Um,
1: but yeah, he, he's yeah, you know, he, he's in the sort of the elite category. You know, he's leaps and bounds uh, <laughs> above above my station. But it it's just kind of a, just yeah, me think, oh, I've I'd, I'd I'd liked to liked to have been able to do that. And uh, so yeah, maybe next year um, that that might that might factor in, in into things. But yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see.
0: Maybe um, maybe another podcast this time next year where we can check in and see how you got on. If you you smashed your whatever goal you were going for,
1: <laughs> yeah, that'd be would be, be nice, and that's it? have something to talk about on the race front again. So um, yeah, well yeah, thanks thanks very much for inviting me and
0: uh, Scott, absolute pleasure. And again, just sharing all of your expertise and knowledge, I, I genuinely think so much of what you've talked about, people are going to find really, really, really useful and really insightful. And I just think that thing that you've touched on quite a few times about The personal approach and what works for you and your own kind of set of needs and requirements I think is just such a really good thing to keep reinstating for for runners of all abilities I think and it's just yeah Yeah, I think what you've shared has been has been really really insightful and interesting and the fact that you've done it on your holiday which I'm now going to go and leave you to enjoy so thank you for bearing with me in the the poor internet connection and for being such a great great guest.
1: Pleasure thanks for having me.
0: Massive thank you to Scott. That was so interesting and I think all of us as runners can relate to many of the niggles and injuries that he was describing. I will link Scott's information below the episode description and if you are London based he is doing face-to-face sessions and if you're not he also does virtual ones as well and has an amazing ability to diagnose virtually as well as face-to-face so definitely check him out if you are having any problems with your running next week so to combat that i would always make sure i trained a little bit harder than the year before to try and negate that that tailing off of performance with age so Mm. each year i would train a little bit harder than the year before to try and improve my performance or try and stay at that level Ooh, it's a good one he's a fascinating character tune in for that next week as always, check us out on Twitter on the Big Run Pod and on Instagram on the Big Run Podcast. And if you want to follow me, slowly but surely returning to running, you can follow me as well on Instagram at Danny Runs Some. And until then, if you're able to, and injury-free, get out there and get running.